This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Morning light streamed through stained glass into a small church in rural Arkansas. A crowd fouled through the heavy double doors, greeting each other and winding their way through the wooden pews. Soon, every seat in the house was full. Some of the older churchgoers looked around, pleasantly surprised to see the place at capacity. But the rush wasn't caused by a sudden religious revival. The strangers murmured excitedly to each other and scrolled through their phones. Then, suddenly, a solemn hush fell over them as an elderly, bearded pastor approached the pulpit. The pastor had a battered orange guitar slung around his neck. He held it casually, expertly, in both of his hands. After a moment of silence, every pair of eyes in the room turned towards the man, and he began to play. For the next two minutes, the crowd was wrapped. The pastor sang along to the guitar in a deep, smooth baritone. His voice was gravelly, captivating, and full of emotion. As the song faded, the congregants began to clap. One of the strangers stood up from her seat, tears streaming down her face. She called out with a shaking, passionate voice, Thank you, Elvis. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. 
Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Well, this is our second and final episode on the death of Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, and one of the most successful musicians of all time. Last week, we explored Elvis's early life and rise to stardom. We also discussed his reported death on August 16, 1977, at the age of 42. But in the aftermath of his passing and the decades since, fans have reported seeing the King all over the United States. This week, we'll delve into suspicions that Elvis faked his own death to escape the extreme pressures of his fame and may even still be living today. The death of Elvis Presley in 1977 shook the Western world. Fans flocked to the gates of his Graceland mansion as soon as he was rushed to the hospital and stayed there until days after the funeral. Every year, people still gather outside Graceland on Elvis's birthday for a candlelight vigil. But not all of them are there to honor the dead. Ever since 1977, some have believed that Elvis's death was a hoax. In this episode, we're going to examine the theories which allege Elvis faked his death, why he might have done so, and the potential evidence that the king lived past his supposed demise. Our first conspiracy theory is that Elvis tricked the public into believing he was dead as a way to escape his fame. It's undeniable that his unrivaled popularity was at the root of many of his personal problems. Could he have arranged his untimely passing as a cover-up and flown to South America to get away from it all? Our second conspiracy theory targets a specific man, still alive today, who bears a striking physical and musical resemblance to the star. This theory argues that well-known singing pastor Bob Joyce is Elvis in disguise. Finally, our third conspiracy focuses on a different Elvis sighting altogether. Some theorists believe Elvis has been secretly communicating the fact that he's alive and well to fans ever since his supposed death. This theory claims that Elvis is actually in the 1990 family movie, Home Alone. In our last episode, we discussed the life of Elvis Presley and the struggles that his unprecedented fame caused him. For decades, he was mobbed and several times nearly trampled by his fans after going out in public. 
He struggled to form relationships with people and had to constantly be on guard against others taking advantage of him. Even people he had known for years betrayed his trust to make money off of him. At the time Elvis died in 1977, he was one of the most famous men on the planet. But our first conspiracy theory claims that Elvis tricked the public into believing he was dead as a way to escape his fame. We'll discuss the clues which some believe prove Elvis is still alive today. The first hint that Elvis still lives is the simple fact that he allegedly died on the toilet. Believers claim a death like this was the antithesis of what the king stood for. After all, he was known for his flash, his style, and his ostentatious lifestyle. They believe that he never could have died in such a crude way. Of course, that alone doesn't constitute evidence that Elvis's death was faked. One's death is usually not in their control, and naturally, circumstances don't often align to grant someone a poetic death. It might be a dubious clue on its own, but it's by no means the only thing which suggests Elvis's death was not as clear-cut as it appeared to be. Several questions have remained unanswered since that infamous day. Foremost among these is the case of the mysterious black helicopter. Hours before Elvis's death, Reports from tourists outside Graceland's gates claim that an unmarked black helicopter landed behind the mansion. Apparently, it was there only briefly and flew away minutes later. Believers assert that the helicopter could have been chartered by a government agency or some other secret organization. Some versions of the theory claim that it may have picked Elvis up then and there to whisk him off to an undisclosed location. Others think the helicopter brought a high-level government official to help Elvis make the final arrangements for the hoax. Well, there are many possibilities about how the helicopter fits into the overall theory, but all agree it played a pivotal role in Elvis's scheme to fake his death. Adding to the intrigue is the fact that the presence of the helicopter has never been explained by Elvis's friends and family. On the face of it, the claim does not seem to be out of the range of possibility. Elvis had multitudes of rich and powerful friends, as well as contacts in the government. He famously even once met with Richard Nixon in the White House. With allies like those, would it really be out of the question that a mysterious helicopter would pay the king a visit? Of course. Such a visit could have been an innocent social call. But if the helicopter was not abnormal, why would the family lie to cover up its existence? Aside from the helicopter, there were no other widely circulated rumors about suspicious activity occurring around Graceland before Elvis's death. But by the time of the funeral two days later, on August 18th, there would be myriad more questions that needed answering. The event was massive. It featured live music, famous guests, and a procession of 17 white Cadillac limousines. The arrangements were made by Elvis's road manager and close friend, Joe Esposito, but Elvis's father, Vernon, gave his input on the major decisions. The private portion of the funeral took place in the morning. Elvis's family and friends were invited to pay their respects to the casket. 
but not everyone was interested. Among those who declined to see the remains was Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's promoter, manager, and longtime partner. Uh, in retrospect, it seems strange that one of the people who was closest to Elvis would have been uninterested in seeing his body, and that was the least of the colonel's odd behavior during the funeral. He showed up in a short-sleeved shirt and smoked a cigar. He also didn't seem very interested in mourning or participating in the proceedings. The colonel explained his outfit by claiming that Elvis would not want him to put on airs at the funeral. He had been wearing a similar getup the entire time he had known Elvis. In his own eccentric way, he may have been trying to present himself as authentically as possible in the star's memory. But over the years, few have seen the colonel's behavior in that charitable light. Multiple mourners who were there at the time noted that he pointedly refused to look at the casket throughout the ceremony. Instead, the number one thing on his mind seemed to be money. He cornered Elvis's father Vernon in the kitchen and insisted on speaking to a grieving man about business matters. The colonel has faced a significant amount of criticism over the years for the contract he got Vernon to sign a week after the funeral granting him a large measure of control over Elvis's posthumous career. He undeniably broached the topic of the contract at the funeral itself. Well, this was despite the fact that contemporary accounts describe Vernon as distraught, and certainly not in the ideal mental state for making complicated business deals. It was undoubtedly inappropriate, and it would certainly be a strange coincidence if a mysterious helicopter landed at Elvis's home only hours before his death, and then his closest friends acted strangely at his funeral. According to our first theory, the two are connected. The helicopter provided possible means for Elvis to escape Graceland, only known to a few of his closest associates. Those who were in the know behaved strangely at the funeral because they knew the entire event was a farce. The colonel would have seen no reason to abstain from discussing business matters, since Vernon would not have really been mourning his son. But there are a couple of problems with the story. First of all, the source of the helicopter rumor has never been identified, making the claims hearsay at best. On the other hand, the source can't be tracked back to a specific tabloid or newspaper either, well, that means the entire incident can't be simply chalked up as fiction designed to sell papers. But there is something else which suggests the story is baloney. The only purported evidence to support it, besides secondhand accounts, is a grainy photo of Graceland supposedly taken at the time. It is in black and white and shows the front of the mansion with a helicopter flying prominently above the house. But the photo is almost certainly doctored. For one, the bushes in front of the home's windows are trimmed significantly shorter than they were in 1977. Other photos from the time show high bushes which protrude in front of the windows to protect Elvis's privacy. In this obviously doctored photo, the bushes are cut below the windows, this is how they're trimmed today, now that Graceland is a tourist attraction. Well, the photo may not be genuine, but that doesn't mean the story is baseless. 
There were many people outside Elvis's home on the day he died, and it would be difficult to track down any single fan or tourist who might have been there and seen the helicopter. That's true, but so far it still means the theory has no verifiable evidence to support it. As for the colonel, people all grieve in their own ways. It's not exactly suspicious for someone to prefer remembering happy memories of their friends without viewing their corpse. Well, it's a little suspicious for him to choose to honor his friend's memory by cornering his grieving father about contractual matters. Discussing the contract with Vernon at the funeral was definitely tactless, but the fact that accounts describe Vernon as incredibly upset suggests that his son really was dead. And it should be pointed out that this contract followed the terms Elvis had agreed to the previous year. Well, that's true, but if Elvis's death was phony, it would provide a reasonable explanation for his behavior. It's a possible explanation, but by no means the simplest one. The fact is that none of this behavior was out of character for the colonel. It's only unusual in that it occurred at the funeral. Some have also suggested that the colonel felt a measure of guilt over causing Elvis's death by not doing anything to stop his rampant drug use. If that was the case, he might not have been able to bring himself to view the body or look at the casket. But his conduct is far from the only thing that was out of the ordinary following the king's death. Up next, we delve into the most compelling clues that Elvis continued to live past 1977. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After Elvis Presley was reported dead in August of 1977, fans began to notice that some of the events after his passing were suspicious. There were unconfirmed reports of a mysterious helicopter landing behind Graceland hours before his body was found. At the funeral, his longtime manager and business partner, Colonel Tom Parker, behaved strangely. But there were more signs that things were not all they seemed to be. 
These alleged clues led to the formation of our first conspiracy theory, that Elvis Presley did not really die in 1977. Instead, the theory argues he faked his death, possibly to escape the pressures of fame. We've already debunked some of the more tenuous aspects of the theory, but there is other stronger evidence for the idea. One of the best arguments for this theory can be found in the testimony of Elvis's cousin and longtime member of his entourage, Gene Smith. Author Gail Brewer Giorgio, best known for her books Is Elvis Alive and The Elvis Files, wrote that Gene stated Elvis's body looked strange in the casket. Reportedly, Gene told Gail that the corpse he saw had smaller and smoother hands than Elvis. He also claimed that Elvis's sideburns looked glued on and his nose was crooked. According to him, the eyebrows and hairline also looked askew and not how he remembered his cousin. Considering the fact that Elvis and Gene were very close for much of their lives, it is significant for Gene to say that Elvis's remains looked suspicious. And the appearance of the corpse was not the only oddity Gene pointed out. He was also one of nine pallbearers, and he stated that the coffin was unnaturally heavy, so much so that it made his knees buckle. Elvis's coffin was made of copper, making it heavier than the average coffin, which is commonly made of stainless steel or wood. But Gene went further than claiming the coffin was just a little hefty. He said it was so heavy that the nine men had trouble lifting it all together. Though Elvis was reportedly 250 pounds at the time of his death, it's highly unusual for a coffin to weigh so much. According to Rolling Stone magazine, the total weight of the coffin and body was 900 pounds. It was a fancy coffin, fit for a king. It doesn't seem surprising that Elvis would have a lavish final resting place, as he was one of the most famous celebrities of all time. It's possible the weight of the coffin was due to its extravagance, but contemporary photos don't show anything obviously bulky about it. A conventional coffin is typically between 50 and 200 pounds. Copper coffins are on the higher end of that range, but are rarely over 200 pounds. Even accounting for Elvis's weight, that leaves 450 pounds unaccounted for. But some fans have an explanation. Gene Smith also told Gail Brewer Giorgio that he noticed drops of water, like beads of sweat, on Elvis's body as it lay in the casket. Some other mourners who attended the public viewing said the same thing. To some, it looked like the body was moist. According to Gene Smith and other theorists, that may have been because the body was actually a wax dummy of Elvis, not a true corpse. If true, it could be that the dummy was in danger of melting in the Tennessee heat. The extra weight of the coffin, then, was due to a secret air conditioning system installed to prevent the wax from turning into a puddle. It's an interesting idea, but the logistics of that seem difficult to pull off. It would be much easier to simply have a closed casket or else not have a public viewing. But there are still a couple of other clues left to explore before we decide whether to believe our first major theory. 
one of the more infamous controversies was the name carved on his headstone. After the ceremony, Elvis was interred in a mausoleum outside his Graceland mansion. His headstone displays his full name, Elvis Aaron Presley, where Aaron is spelled with two A's. The decision by Elvis's father, Vernon, to spell his name that way has led to a surprising amount of controversy. Well, this is because there was a slight discrepancy in the way Elvis's middle name was spelled during his life. His official birth certificate reads Elvis Aaron Presley, spelled with one A. This spelling was likely given to match the middle name of Elvis's twin, who was stillborn minutes before Elvis was delivered. His twin's name was to be Jesse Garen Presley, with Garen spelled G-A-R-O-N. Elvis's middle name was also spelled with a single A on his high school diploma and marriage license. According to theorists who believe Elvis is still alive, Vernon couldn't bring himself to put his son's actual name on the headstone because he wasn't really dead. So instead, he opted to spell Elvis's middle name incorrectly. We'll look more into that claim in a moment. But first, let's cover the last tenet of our first theory, which also happens to be the first Elvis sighting made after his reported death. An unidentified man allegedly saw a person who looked a lot like Elvis at the Memphis airport on August 16, 1977. According to the witness, the stranger purchased a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires, Argentina. The witness also claimed that the mystery man gave the ticketing agent the name John Burroughs, which was known to be an alias Elvis used when checking into hotels. So, to summarize, our first theory is a combination of several suspicious stories which came to light soon after Elvis's death. In addition to rumors about the black helicopter and Colonel Parker's eccentric behavior, we covered testimony from Elvis's cousin, Gene Smith, and the questionable spelling of Elvis's name on his headstone. Finally, we discussed an eyewitness report that puts Elvis at the Memphis airport on the day of his alleged death. Together, these individual strands coalesce to form a suspicious picture. We've already discussed some possible holes in the stories about the helicopter and Colonel Parker's conduct, but there are some issues with Gene Smith's testimony about the appearance of Elvis's corpse as well. Most importantly, it seems plausible that during the process of preparing the body for burial, Elvis's looks could have been affected. His face could have looked different than usual due to makeup applied by the funeral director, but that wouldn't explain why onlookers spotted drops of water on Elvis's face. Dead bodies don't sweat, but there are other possible reasons. As Gene himself mentioned later, there were people maintaining the state of the body throughout the viewing. They reportedly came by to smooth out the hair and make sure it remained as pristine as possible. It could be that the moisture some of the funeral goers noticed were remnants of hair product or something else used to touch up the body. In regards to the name, the spelling may not be as suspicious as it first appears. Beginning in 1966, when Elvis was 31 years old, 
he changed the spelling of his middle name. He told his father that he wanted to spell the Aaron with two A's because of the biblical connotations. In the Bible, Aaron was a prophet, the brother of Moses. There is also documented evidence that Elvis signed his middle name with two A's, especially after 1966. After Elvis explained this to his father, he began signing his middle name with two A's and even started the process of changing official state records to the new spelling. In doing so, he found that for some reason, the state records already listed his middle name with two A's. Thus, as Vernon explained to the press, Aaron was spelled with an extra A on the headstone because Elvis preferred that spelling. But by all accounts, Elvis also thought of his unborn brother often as well. Would he or his father really have wanted to change the name he was given to honor his brother? According to his father, yes. There's no reason to believe there is a deeper meaning behind the spelling of Elvis's name other than the explanation given by Vernon. Even if there was some hidden explanation, there's still nothing to suggest it could be connected to Elvis's death. Well, maybe not, but there's still the matter of the Elvis sighting in the Memphis airport to contend with. Unfortunately, like the rumors about the black helicopter, there's no evidence to back this story up. The logic certainly doesn't line up with how one might expect Elvis to fake his death. Surely, with his resources, the most famous musician in the world wouldn't have needed to go to the airport in broad daylight and buy his own ticket. It's possible Elvis just made an obvious mistake. It also could be the case that he did disguise himself in some way, but the witness saw through it. After all, he would have had to have been disguised for only one man to notice him. More than likely, that's because if this man at the airport existed at all, he was not Elvis. But there's a bigger problem with the report than its internal logic. Author Patrick Lacey, who wrote the book Elvis Decoded, interviewed Memphis airport officials in 2006. He found that international flights were not even available out of Memphis in 1977. This would have made it impossible for someone to book a flight to Buenos Aires that year. Despite this, the story, along with many other baseless rumors, have been repeated uncritically for decades in tabloids and mainstream news reports. The story at the airport was only the first, and therefore was one of the most repeated. If it's true the airport sighting was impossible, all we can go on are the various unusual aspects of Elvis's funeral and burial. Because of that, I'd give this theory a 4 out of 10. The specific sighting at the airport doesn't seem likely, but Gene's testimony is persuasive. On the other hand, the alternate explanations for the colonel's behavior and the spelling of Elvis's name on his headstone are all plausible. It's also undeniable that Elvis possessed the influential contacts and wealth to fake his death if he had wanted to. He had a cadre of loyal friends and family who might have been willing to cover for him. That's true, but without any proof, not much can be confirmed. On the other hand, our next theory may provide more insight into Elvis's possible motivations for bowing out of public life. Well, it also provides a more specific sighting for us to investigate. 
Our second theory asks whether the king could not only still be alive today, but still be performing music in front of our eyes. This theory focuses on Bob Joyce, a pastor who preaches in Benton, Arkansas. Pastor Joyce frequently sings during his sermons and is a talented musician. Adherents of this conspiracy claim that Pastor Joyce is Elvis in disguise. The main evidence is that Pastor Joyce looks and sounds similar to the king. His baritone is similar, and he sings and plays with a friendly charisma that is certainly reminiscent of Elvis. Supporters of the theory online also claim that he plays guitar in an idiosyncratic way similar to the king. Side-by-side videos show Pastor Joyce and Elvis both flaring out the fingers on their right hands on the upstrokes when strumming. It's true that there are parallels between the two men, and while it's impossible to know what Elvis might have looked like if he had lived to grow older, it's easy to believe that he might have ended up resembling Pastor Joyce. Further supporting the case is Pastor Joyce's occupation. Elvis remained committed to the Protestant Christian faith he was raised in throughout his life. If he did decide to voluntarily exit public life, he might have sought work in a rural church. It would certainly be a far cry from the stresses of his celebrity. Elvis probably would have been attracted to life as a pastor. He grew up singing gospel music, and though he hated the pressures that came with fame, he certainly maintained a love for performance. It's likely that if Elvis did fake his death, he would still need an outlet for his musical talent. Well, there's also the fact that since 1977, Pastor Joyce has lived what Elvis desired most in his final days, a normal life. The chance to raise a family away from prying eyes was something Elvis lusted after. He wanted to get back to the quiet Southern life of his childhood. But there are more than a few problems with the theory. There's a lot to prove before we can believe Pastor Joyce is actually Elvis Presley. We'll dive deeper into the eerie similarities after this. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's Best Eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the story. So far, we've discussed the oddities of Elvis Presley's death in 1977 and the possibility that it was a hoax designed to free the star from the pressures of his fame. We've also explored some of the circumstantial evidence that suggests Elvis may have begun a new life as a pastor in Arkansas, now known as Pastor Bob Joyce. 
While the pastor bears some physical and vocal similarity to Elvis, there are obvious discrepancies in the theory. Firstly, while it's impossible to know how Elvis might have aged in the 42 years since 1977, it's my opinion that Pastor Joyce is missing some of Elvis's prominent characteristics. He appears shorter than Elvis was, and the shape of his nose seems vastly different. The pastor also has brown eyes, while Elvis had blue. Many people feel the same, though there are just as many who think he bears an uncanny resemblance to the star. If Elvis did hypothetically want to escape from public life, it's not out of the question that he could have gotten plastic surgery to alter his appearance slightly. As for the eyes, all it would take would be a couple of colored contacts. If he was going to get plastic surgery to alter his appearance, it seems like he might have wanted a more drastic change rather than subtle modifications to his nose. But there's a more obvious way to debunk this theory. Pastor Joyce himself has said flat out on many occasions that he is not Elvis Presley. Pastor Joyce is aware of the rumors and has not encouraged them. But that's exactly what he would do if he really was Elvis. What doesn't make much sense is the fact that Pastor Joyce is in his 60s and not his 80s, as Elvis would be if he were alive today. Well, Pastor Joyce claims to be in his 60s. It's true that he looks more like a man in his 60s than the typical 80-year-old, but Elvis was always conscious of his appearance. It's not completely out of the question that Pastor Joyce could be older than he claims to be. But there are photos of Pastor Joyce as a younger man, with his daughter and wife, as well as witnesses who grew up with the pastor. Adherents of the conspiracy acknowledge that Pastor Joyce existed before Elvis's death, but they believe Elvis took or bought his identity. In effect, they believe there are two Pastor Joyces. This makes the conspiracy a lot more complicated. Since there's only a physical and vocal similarity between Elvis and Pastor Joyce, it's hard to justify such a convoluted theory. It also begs the question, why go through so much trouble to impersonate a real pastor? Adherents of the theory insist that the pastor's lifestyle is the one Elvis wanted. He longed to live in a small town and raise a family of his own. But that further calls into question his motivation for faking his death. He already had a family of his own, though he was no longer married. His daughter, Lisa Marie Presley, was only nine at the time of his death. By all accounts, Elvis was a doting father and loved spending time with her. Even for a break from the hassles of his fame, would he have abandoned his young daughter to start a new family in Arkansas? Well, it's possible Lisa wasn't kept in the dark about her father's death. For the scheme to work, there would have presumably been a lot of collaboration between Elvis and those close to him. It doesn't seem likely that a nine-year-old could be trusted with a secret like that. Especially since the entire Presley family faced so much scrutiny following Elvis's death. It's possible that she wasn't informed until she was older, or that Elvis believed his celebrity would harm Lisa Marie if he stayed in the spotlight. Either way, I'm not sure he had a strong enough motive to leave one family behind and begin another. I think I have to give this theory a 3 out of 10. 
Pastor Joyce's voice does resemble Elvis's, but given his repeated denials and his documented past before 1977, it doesn't feel like there's much hard evidence here. The next theory might be a little more convincing. Well, it's definitely the most intriguing one we've explored this episode. It contends that Elvis made a cameo in the film Home Alone, starring Macaulay Culkin. Adherents believe the King's appearance in the movie is a clue to true fans that he still lives on, like the possible misspelling of his middle name on his headstone. The intention was supposedly to assure his dedicated followers that he was still alive and kicking. The first so-called clue in the movie can be found in the name of Culkin's character, Kevin McAllister. If you rearrange the letters in that name, you get the anagram, I am Elvis. Alternately, as journalist Dan Ozy points out, the letters can be arranged to spell, I, Mr. Elvis, act. Granted, in both cases, there are letters left over, but it may be a hidden message nonetheless. So far, that doesn't exactly constitute convincing proof. After all, the letters can also be rearranged to spell the name of football player Mike Evans or musician Nick Cave. You could also spell I am Steve, which could be a reference to beloved fictional character Steve Urkel. Eh, Valid point. But this is only the first of many clues that suggest the movie is connected to Elvis. The next can be found in the most well-known scene in the film. Here, Culkin lip-syncs the song White Christmas after a shower. While he sings, he slicks his hair back in a clear reference to Elvis's signature look. Though the voice on the record Culkin sings to isn't Elvis's, he did do a rendition of White Christmas on his very first Christmas album. Making it possibly the second reference to the king in the film. But that's not all. Well, not by a long shot. The kicker comes about midway through the movie, not long after the lip-sync scene. Here, Culkin's mother in the movie, played by Catherine O'Hara, is in the airport, desperately trying to get a flight back to Chicago. She pleads with a ticketing agent to find a flight. There are many extras in the background of the busy terminal, but one man is positioned more prominently than the others. He stands slightly to the right behind Catherine O'Hara. He is taller than O'Hara and looks to be in his 40s or 50s. He sports dark hair, a beard, and is wearing a sports jacket over a dark turtleneck. As O'Hara speaks to the ticketing agent, he cocks his head to the side briefly, almost like an involuntary twitch of his neck. Some believe this extra is Elvis Presley in disguise. In 1990, Elvis would have been 55 years old, which would match the approximate age of the extra in the film. The mystery man's height also looks to be the same as Elvis's, though it's hard to tell for sure since only his upper body is visible. As for his face, it does bear a certain resemblance. Believers also point out that his head twitch is reminiscent of the move the king sometimes made while singing ballads. Side by side, videos of the extra's head jerk and Elvis's do look similar. But on the other hand, it's not an especially unique or complicated movement. It looks like something one might do to shake a mosquito off of them, for example. Well, the subtlety could be the point, though. If these are clues left only for the most discerning fans, it would make sense for them to be understated. 
Maybe so, but there are still many questions left unanswered. Of all films, it doesn't seem obvious why Elvis might appear in the background of a family film like Home Alone. Other than the couple of vague references scattered throughout the movie, there isn't an obvious connection. Well, the link could be found in director Chris Columbus's previous work. The film he directed two years before Home Alone was called Heartbreak Hotel. In that movie, set in 1972, a young boy kidnaps Elvis as a surprise for his mother, who is in the hospital. It is a striking coincidence that after directing a movie about Elvis, Chris Columbus's next film would feature an extra who bears such a likeness to the star. Adding to the complexity is the fact that the extra is standing behind Catherine O'Hara's character. Since she is the mother character in Home Alone, placing the lookalike in a scene with her could be a reference to Heartbreak Hotel, since the mother in that movie loves Elvis. It is intriguing, but I still don't feel it's enough to be convincing. It certainly isn't airtight. That all adds up to a subtle string of references, but there is one last connection in the scene with the mystery man. This one occurs after the agent denies O'Hara's character a ticket. After that, O'Hara is approached by a kindly stranger. This man is part of a touring band and introduces himself as the King of Polka. A clear riff on Elvis's title as the King of Rock and Roll. Probably so. The theory is certainly more convincing than it first appears. But there are still some major problems, beyond the fact that many of the so-called references are tenuous. First and foremost is the reality that Columbus, along with Culkin, have addressed the rumors and emphatically denied that Elvis was in the film. As was the case with Pastor Joyce, a denial makes sense if Elvis wanted to remain hidden. Perhaps. But the extra has also been confirmed to have been someone else. It was not easy to track down the name of an uncredited extra who had no lines. But after journalist Kenny Biddle investigated the matter, he found the man in question was not Elvis Presley, but rather a man named Gary Grott. Gary was a personal friend of Chris Columbus and acted as an extra in a number of his films. Both Gary's wife and son have confirmed it is Gary standing behind O'Hara in Home Alone. Well, this testimony debunks the theory that Elvis is in Home Alone, though it is still possible that subtle references to him and Heartbreak Hotel are scattered throughout. Considering the fact that the extra only bore a passing resemblance to Elvis in the first place, and we have confirmation that the extra was someone else, we have to give this theory a 1 out of 10. Elvis is not in the acclaimed classic movie Home Alone. But no matter what, it's clear that some people have a passionate desire to believe Elvis Presley still lives. This speaks to his unrivaled impact on Western music and culture. It also drives home the unique relationship Elvis had with his fans. They always felt he was singing and speaking directly to each one of them. But while we found none of the specific Elvis sightings to be backed up by hard evidence, it doesn't mean the idea that Elvis faked his death is only idle fantasy. 
there were undoubtedly some unanswered questions surrounding his untimely passing. Still, overall, there is little compelling reason to believe the king is still alive today. Maybe it's time to allow the man to rest in peace and let his legend live on. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Joel Stein. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Tara Wells and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 